We're recording two because I'm going on holiday and I forgot to tell John, so we're now doing this midweek, so it's going to be a midweek double episode recording. <laughs> well, well, welcome to Midweek Brains. This is where we... Uh, this is, yeah. yeah th- this is where we're still like heavily ingrained in the conversations that's happening throughout the week and we haven't had time to offload a lot of that because weekend time, so... Who knows where conversations will go today? Oh, yeah, they're going to go everywhere. I can just feel it and sense it. So if we don't reply to, especially on my side, there will be some comments that I wanted to reply to that I haven't been able to reply to, purely because I literally dashed from school run to here. Yes. Right. Okay. Folders, links, tags. The reason I wanted to discuss these three is because for whatever reason in the PKM space, it's a, it's a hot debate. It's a hot topic. And... um. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> um, where where I see these conversations in the PKM space is like, do you use links or tags? And do you store things in lots of folders or some folders? And to be honest, um, I do all of them and none of them because it depends on how I'm thinking at the time. Like sometimes I'll have one folder of projects. Other times, I'll need to manage what projects I'm going through, and I may need some added folders. And then other times, I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to use folders at all, and I'm just going to put things everywhere. <laughs> so I, I, as with everything, there isn't one answer. It, it completely depends how you're thinking at the time, what conversation you're having with yourself at the time with your notes, because... Like I've said before, when I'm working inside of long, so I'll, I'll use a practical example. I'm writing a book, okay? Well, I'm writing technically a lot of books at once because I'm writing a series and a book. Um, but the book that I'm writing, I'm writing with long form. So each file is a chapter, which means all of those files are in a folder. And they're some of them are linked, some of them aren't linked, but none of them are tagged. Whereas the projects that I have all are in one other big folder, but they were in smaller folders. So I'm like, do I use folders to store stuff? Duh, yes, of course. Do I really use them for a hierarchy, a status, a priority or anything like that? No, but I have done in the past and I may do in the future. I think this is kind of the snapshot video conversation. Everyone's talking in a snapshot versus a video because I'm exactly the same. Um, I finally went in and kind of did a little bit of cleanup of my area in Voltcraft and added the... Do you want to clarify what cleanup means? Okay. So I basically added all the classes in onto the content I was writing, just as I have evolved what I'm doing, and especially after the conference. I haven't even gone through that note yet. I haven't even gone through that note yet. That was a that was a weekend task. Um, and so going through like just reorganizing and reorientating my um my area, my project. Uh I shouldn't use area because otherwise it's like, oh areas, what area? Uh, um I would say instead of reorganizing, self-organizing as well. Self-organizing. Reorganizing suggests that it was organized, which means there was a point and you're like. There wasn't yeah. a point. I was just constantly going. I was self-organizing it in a new way. Things emerged <laughs> because it was getting really hard and there was entropy. There was, like, I just was looking in there and going, uh, 
it's not really there but it's also not really there and it's not really there i don't know what the, i i no longer could see what was going on in there and it was like this was becoming annoying because i had content ideas and then i just had big massive research notes that also had content in and i'm like okay cool i i loved after watching your video about how you set up your vault i love the idea of a research note that isn't a source note because it's not a source note, which was always the bit that I was like, okay, cool. I'll just put my source notes in here, but they're not really source notes because they're research notes and they're collecting everything in one place. So I was like, okay, cool. So I'll just like whoop, put that back over there. And so I separated, created a, a research note, um, did some splitting and merging of files, a lot of files, a heck of a lot of files, um, which was, well, not in comparison to yourself, but it was a, a number of files. Right. I was like, okay, cool. Just move that here. Okay, cool. I don't want that anymore. Uh. <laughs> I, th I think um, it's the, the way I see the research files is they're, they're different types of projects. Like it's mm. a research project. There's, there's lots of stuff going on. There's a conversation happening within the cognition, the cognitive space that you're working with these ideas. And that conversation is constantly evolving it's constantly moving forwards so folders are they could be there one minute they could be gone another because they no no longer needed in the conversation uh and you mentioned entropy when you have loads of notes loads of ideas loads of writing inside of a note to keep everything somewhat organized in your mind or in whatever you want to call it in cognition to keep itself organized requires energy you need to be either working in those notes practicing with that idea or whatever it is otherwise entropy will happen systems will um so, uh, separate they would dissolve uh, and then you need to put them back together again and when you put them back together again if you want to put them into the same sort of system then you may want to use the same tools or you may want to use something else for a different perspective. And that's where links and tags may be used instead of folders or as well as folders, who knows? So for me, I don't see folders, links, tags as a versus. Uh, I see them as tools to be used in a conversation. They're never, they're never verses. All this nonsense about verses. It's just like, why? Why? And I want to add on to that as well. Uh, this comes from a comment that well, a conversation that's happening in the Rob Gray podcast. Uh, and he was speaking with someone that we may be getting on again. We've got a big old guest list that's starting to appear. Um, and he was talking about correspondence rather than connection. And he was referring to connections as connecting ideas together or connecting theory to practice because he's very into the sports coaching world, as I'm sure you would imagine, because that's where most of the ecological discussions happen. And what I thought about was hold up. Linking your thinking. That's based on linking, links, connections. So when we connect something, in th this is sort of like an aha moment that I had. When we connect something, we have this assumption that before we connected it, it wasn't linked, which is a load of rubbish. And we know it's a load mm. of rubbish because everything's already linked. So what is the actual link? Is that us making a decision to link it in our own thought process connections but if it is then we can change our mind and say well that's no longer linked but it is linked just in a different way so is it a connection 
mm, yes, but it's not entirely accurate, which is where he, he came up with correspondence. It's a correspondence. It's something that continues through the conversation. So the way that I would then see a link inside of Obsidian is not it's not a connection from one idea to another idea. It is. It's a pathway through one way to another. This is where words get frustrating. And there's a comment about words later on. Um, it is technically a connection. But if I see it more as a, a correspondence, as a, okay, this is a connection to help the conversation rather than this is a connection, it's absolute. This is, this relates to this. Because uh, as Andy Clark has, uh, was it? No, it's not Andy Clark. It's um, Andy Mitchatak, M however you say his last name. Um, yeah. <laughs> The evergreen notes guy, as he says, with uh, linking different ideas, different notes, he uses atomic notes. Is it implicit or explicit? Do you understand why the thing is linked? And if you don't, then you need to make sure you know why it's linked, which is why he uses longer names for the atomic notes and statements instead of just a couple of words. And I think that's one approach to build up this correspondence of ideas with the cognitive environment that is your notes. or instead of having like statements of titles, which to me is very limiting because it's mm. it creates a snapshot of a note as we discussed in the Atomic Notes episode. But instead of looking at a, a link or a connection as just a connection, it's kind of like a suggestion. It's a suggestion of another way to discuss this thing, um, which to me is just... <laughs> what it says it, it's a link it's a link to another conversation or another part of the correspondence uh, and that's just a, a reframing in my mind that i'm currently going through Th this is no this is the way to think about it as we've discussed before it's just this is what i'm thinking about as i'm going so what, what are your thoughts on that obviously it's like not clear. It. <laughs> yeah no <clears throat> yeah no i love how i just said both um i do like it i like the idea of a correspondence it's kind of it is a conversation between the notes because then one thing I like connecting so much emphasis is put on making the connections and it feels so permanent versus when it's a correspondence conversations like it, it feels much more much more fluid which is yummy um and is more ecologically valid <laughs> Entry. because because it is fluid because our notes are not static and i think for me it's been it, when i went through my um kind of self self organization yeah, just just say so organization we know what you mean yeah well the organization of those notes um it was like ah cool this connects here and then this goes here and oh these two are like that they, they were having a i could notice a conversation happening inside of the note Mm. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. Let's uh, put these two. Let's these two are, are connected in some ways. But what if they stop being connected? And and it kind of opens up the source notes a little bit more as well because mm. I sometimes have questions in my source notes, and then they, I think it matches quite nicely to the way that I have my system currently, which I'm working on redesigning anyway because the questions aren't quite what. Meh. Don't like the questions, but it had. I always had them. You said, you said redesigning again. It's it, it's it's redesigning. You're, you're just it's continuing. Continuing. You're just working. I, I I need to work with it. I need to, to just work with it. It's it's those small words that I'm like. 
in my, in my head, I'm like, that just doesn't make sense. What does that mean? Uh, something that came to mind while you were speaking, the, the word done comes to mind. Like once you've connected something, you've done it, which obviously is an end point. It's a snapshot. It's like, I've connected all of these notes. Great. So what? Who cares? Mm. What What's the point? Like, what's the point of connecting that note with that note? What do you get from it apart from a little dopamine hit to say, yes, I did the arbitrary productivity thing and, and made connections. Look at me. I have a backlink. Um, what's the point? <laughs> Why does it matter? Uh, and, and that's one of those things uh, that comes back to the, the metrics, uh, vanity metrics of look at me. I have 10,000 notes in my vault. What's the point? I could, have, I could have more than you but no far less than you because I don't understand what I'm talking about with my notes. Yeah. So it comes back to what's the point. And I think what's the point of connections is an interesting question. Mm. What's the point of connecting your notes? What's the point of a link in your notes? What's the point of tagging your notes? I know I can answer those questions for me. Hmm. So for, for a little bit of a, a concrete answer, what's the point of folders for me? Storage. Yeah. <laughs> that that's that's the point of folders for me. They are storage of files. Yeah. Um what's the point of links? Ease of navigation to continue the conversation. Right. If if I'm working inside of a note about cognition and I want to move to the note about thinking, there's a link there. If I'm looking at the UK education system and I want to go into PISA or OECD or anything related, then there's a navigation link there. I don't need all the information about those things inside of the research note because it's a different conversation, but it's a connected conversation, which obviously is correspondence. Um, tags, what's the point of them? Uh, I don't really use them, so I don't really have a point. So <laughs> they they could be for status, for priority, for type. But I guess for me, a tag is a class. Like if I substitute the word tag for class because of metadata menu. Mm, um, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Then mm. what's the point to categorize the type of note it is? Mm. It's it's for structure. Mm. Yeah, I uh, I was in a, an email conversation with someone um, through the, well I say through the week still obviously in the week and they were asking me about metadata menu and what what metadata menu does that templates and data view doesn't do uh, and I was <laughs> I, will, I will I will fish slap you um, <laughs> maybe maybe in like two years when we see each other again. Uh, <laughs> But the um, uh, I lost my train of thought. Oh yeah. So the the connections and the conversation that we were having with the metadata menu is that the classes give you a drop-down list, which mm. templates don't, and they give you the yeah. ability to edit that information in a data view query, which at the moment data view doesn't. If when data view core does appear, uh, then maybe we change that. But that's going to be something that I change in the future when it comes around. I mean, the first version was meant to come out at the end of January. We're now what July, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, I I do love, like, it's so much easier. I'm looking through just on my dashboard, and it is that ease of it, ease of use of like, oh great, I've just imported a bunch of um, 
you know, books and stuff. I'm like, ah, oh, I need to go and mark all of them. But I'm like, hang on, I just press the button, add the class, and call it book or source, and I'm yep. done, which is really nice because it's quick and it's easy and it doesn't require effort. Yes. Yes, agreed. Getting Which getting are. into the comment section, because uh, there's a lot of comments here that I feel like is going to take up a lot of time. Uh, so, <laughs> so we're going to dive into the comment section a little bit earlier, because I feel like it relates to the, to the topic that we're talking about. Uh, yeah. the, first one, the first one, not so much. Um, the first one, uh, we got a comment from Pitang, I think is how you pronounce it. Apologies if I've said that wrong. Uh, and they're essentially asking for more information about ecological dynamics, the ecological approach, and that's that conversation in general we have like we've mentioned before more people coming on to the podcast as guests uh that will have more expertise than us in certain areas of the research field especially when we're talking about theories and abstract notions of what the ecological approach means when it comes to the the beginner terms explanations going back to that episode is probably the uh, the, the bedrock of the conversation, because when we're discussing these sorts of terms and topics, it's very difficult for us to go, okay, this is what an affordance is. Now we're going to talk about it like this, or this is what a constraint is. We're now going to talk about it like this, because one it takes up a lot of time. And two, when you explain something in a very short way to preface a conversation, misunderstandings and misinformation can be there. And in order to avoid those sorts of things, I'd much rather use the terms in the space that it is so you get a feel yeah. for how to use the words rather than getting an effort definition which there isn't one <laughs> no there there isn't one I, I still found as we said in in our previous episode around the Berlin trip how little we spoke about constraints i just i found that so fascinating which it makes sense but even now i'm like yeah that was really interesting how in an impact in a more theoretical sense affordances are spoken about but in a practical sense for me it was always constraints that were discussed and just the difference between those two or um, well you can't really like theoretically speaking you can't really add a constraint you just remove an attractor or uh like in in dynamical systems there's there's nothing that models a constraint it's the absence of an affordance which yeah. is a constraint and you you can't model absences uh, apart from putting a zero but that's math and i don't get math especially when yeah, you have no, that many symbols no, and stuff either. um <laughs> but when it comes to practice you you need constraints and that's where i think the 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 dynamic the environment that you discuss the ecological approach in changes the words and terms you tend to use uh but yeah so that's a, a quick note on the ecological stuff um and th this next point is about sticky links obviously relating directly to the links and this is from Torin. hello Torin. um and the the comment the, the comment responding to Torin was about having sticky links and using atomic notes and and using linking those things together for them to be more sticky more memorable um which i kind of want to challenge a bit um the, the conversation, as you'll see on screen on YouTube, you can see the, the comments. The conversation was about Lumen using atomic notes, but also having more than one idea in an atomic note and them using links to make it 
sticky and make it memorable. But this comes again back to what memory is, what remembering is, what sticky means. And to me, when I link something, it doesn't increase my ability to remember the thing at no, all. No, I don't remember anything in my notes. <laughs> the, what helps me remember the information is the conversations that I was having at the time. Mm. So, for example, I remember that PISA is linked inside of my UK education note, not because I made the link, because I put the two brackets on it. I remember it because the conversation around PISA inside of the UK education note is what I remember. And I know that I have made a PISA note because it's in my Obsidian. And if it's not, I can search for it and then make it. And then I have an experience of thinking through this PISA P-I-S-A, for those I'm sure. It's not pizza as in P-I-Z-Z. <laughs> it's pizza, P-I-S-A. Um, uh, and going through that cognitive process of thinking about the UK education system, how PISA impacts that with the assessments of students, and then thinking, oh, I should have a note or another story about that. Let me go there. Oh, I don't have one. I will make one. Now I have a story inside of a PISA note, which is connected in conversation to the UK education system. And the same with the OECD, the same with the Welsh government, the UK government, the Scottish government, Scottish national exams, all those lovely things that are overly complicated, um, in my view, all those things are in a conversation, but start other conversations with a correspondence. So the link itself doesn't make it memorable. It's the experience of creating the link for various reasons in that conversation that makes it memorable for me. Hopefully that brings a bit of clarity on my views what are your thoughts on sticky links and linking for remembering yeah. <clears throat> sticky like that was my like original view i can see where it's coming from because yes that's what we're taught it is in the cognitive approach it is very much like you must put this in a memory store and if you store it in here it's a store of storage um but I'd say the same like, word over and over that makes it that makes you more like yeah it's, it's exactly. a store yeah what's that mean? yeah yeah exactly um and it was something that when I first started doing PKM it's like oh I need to remember everything that I've written down I use it to remember better and I'm like but it doesn't work so there's something wrong with that and well why why don't I remember better because I put it in. So what's the point in putting the notes in there? Well, I don't know, really. If it's not to remember things, what's it for? Which is why I never could kind of join in in the same way. Because it wasn't about remembering. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it wasn't about trying to memorize stuff. Um, it was the exact opposite. Yeah. When you think about it, it's the exact opposite. The whole purpose to a second brain is to offload it and put it somewhere else. Yeah. So the uh, the entire premise, the, the base of, a, of building a second brain is to not remember the stuff. Yeah. Because you don't want to be remembering it. You don't want to be thinking about it all the time because your brain is for well, creating ideas, not storing them even though when you're working with ideas and thinking about them, you're storing them, whatever that means. Um, So this is where, for me, the assumptions of David Allen and getting things done and storing ideas, remembering ideas, those sorts of things, 
that is a very action oriented task oriented business productivity focused view of learning and david allen wasn't talking about learning he wasn't talking about thinking or cognizing he wasn't talking about any of those developmental practices that we have with the way that we think he was talking about getting stuff done when mm. you apply the getting stuff done ideology to thinking cognizing learning educating there's an underlying premise that you don't store information in your brain. Well, you shouldn't store it in your brain. You should store it elsewhere with extended cognition. And this is where the the premise falls apart when you actually want to work with information. You need to have information in your brain, not store it, but remember information in your brain through cognizing the ideas. Yeah. One thing I did like about this comment as well, so we can tick my one off as well, was the digital versus analog conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you've done, either you have done a video or you're doing a video. I can't remember because I've been in your notes and also watch your videos around, is it better? I think it's one of your older videos. Is it better to write things down on a piece of paper versus having it digital? And it's like, it's always been an interesting just quickly I, fascinating. Yeah. I do I do have a video on that on YouTube I'll try and find it and link it in the card that it was a research video about the paper uh, the pen is mightier than the, the, the paper or, it was a weird naming paper but yeah so it's a paper review video rather than a video video yeah yeah it was really because this is a conversation in the business world that's had a lot so like, well, oh, I don't I don't like tech I don't like this I don't like using that and I want to use paper. And I'm like, yeah, okay, use it then. <laughs> but it, it just gives you, if we're using an ecological approach, different affordances, I feel. Um, in terms when you have digital, you have things that you don't really, you don't need to think about. Whereas with paper, you need to think about, you, you just, you have to kind of make the connections yourself. It's a little, for me, and this is just me personally, based on what I use, like it requires more, thinking because it's more permanent it feels very permanent on paper which is why when i do want to write and scribble because i like to write and scribble i find that valuable just in a thing because it's fun um i use a digital pad i use a readwise because i can move these things around and reorganize them um which i can do in obsidian and i think for me it, it's interesting how there has been this divide between analog and digital, which feels a bit, I don't know, binary. I think, so this is something that I I, I feel now mm. um, with, with books. I have never liked books, like having physical books. It just didn't make sense to me. The more I'm reading the books, the more I realise why people like books and coming back to the affordances it's what you can do with books that you can't do as easily with things like kindle pdfs etc mm. when i get to a book but having the bookmark and just opening it is it's different from opening up the kindle and it being on that page because mm. when i'm when i'm in the book i can flick through a couple of pages very quickly on kindle you'd you can't do the same sorts of thing. No, it's uh, not like, oh, skip 20 pages back because you remember something that you've pinned. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very, it's a very it, tactile experience. Yeah. And something else, which is and I just what, like the smell of books. <laughs> I know that. Oh, weirdo. Um but, 
but I've also noticed, so I have, um, for those on YouTube, you'll be able to see this now. I have a small book. Um, that I, yeah, it's it's got like 2,000 pages in um, that I use for cognitive psychology. So uh, it's, uh, I'll, I'll hold it up to the camera so people can actually read it, but it's it's all about cognitive psychology. And the book is massive. You can see there's, there's like loads of bookmarks at the top. Uh, well, I say bookmarks, they're just pieces of paper that I've ripped up. Um, but having that, I can open the book to wherever I want in my head. <laughs> yeah. So I was laughing because the thing, I know the thing that you've been fiddling with today is a bloody bookmark. Yes. <laughs> That's why it just got me giggling because I'm like, love it. Yeah. Piece of paper, bookmark for fiddling. Yeah, exactly. Bookmark for fiddling, piece of papers for actual bookmark stuff. Um but yeah, so the, the the book, I'm finding it useful because I can jump in and out of the different spots that I want. It, but when I'm reading something to gain information from, like, I want to I wanna read this and then take notes on it and then think about it. That is a different process of reading yes. than yes. reading this book. Yes, they're both reading, but they're reading for different purposes. And most of my purposes, I don't need a book. Because I read it and then I'm good. Maybe I read it a second time, but unlikely. And most of the self-help books like Atomic Notes and Four Hour Work Week and all those sorts of books, for me, they're one-time reads. Which is why I, I never understood the, the thing of, oh, yeah, I want the book. Because to me, they're just one-time reads. And th this is what I'm I'm feeling right now, is if a book is a one-time read, I don't need the book. Because I'm, I'm not going to go back. I'm not going to flick through. I'm not going to, I'm not going to explore the book for the ideas and different things. Whereas the cognitive psychology book, uh, the other book that I, I recommended to you again, I'm holding this up in front of my face so you can focus. There you go. Um, the becoming a sports coach book from my head, of course. And then the other book that I have on my desk at the moment, I'm, I'm just sharing loads of books right now. Um, these books are books that I come back to. So they're not one-time reads. I'm looking at them multiple times for different reasons to continue the conversation. And for the book that I'm writing at the moment, that's the sort of book that I want to have. I want to have a book where I'm like, I'm going to go back to this multiple times to understand what's going on or to further my thinking in some way. It's And it's not necessarily a philosophy book, even though it's likely going to be related to philosophy because becoming a sports coach, heavily philosophy driven, conscious coaching, yeah. heavily philosophy driven. Cognitive psychology is not philosophy, but it's psychology, which means it's built on the way that you cognize and act. And the process of thinking and acting relates directly into behavior because psychology and philosophy are very much in the social sciences. So those sorts of books get me thinking, whereas a lot of other books, maybe because they're so popular, because I mean, all the books that I have on my desk, like none of them were bestsellers. Well, I think Conscious Coaching was a bestseller, but I mean, the numbers are nothing like all the rest. Popular books are just so... I find them, I fire them shallow. <laughs> yeah, it's something that I've... As I have been in a different environment and moving around these environments and being exposed to different affordances, exposed to affordances. You're attuning to a different affordances. There. Yeah. yeah. The, the you're, you're more sensitive to information. I am more sensitive to information. The difference in it is just like, uh, uh, is that it? Is that all? Mm. Like I'm just thirsty for more. <laughs> 
that's that's something I'm exploring uh, whilst writing. Obviously, when you start writing a book, uh, I'm I'm sure people will be familiar. You you write your first draft, and then you go, ah, it's a load of rubbish. Let's write another draft. That's even more rubbish. Let's write another draft. Okay, we're getting somewhere now. Um, and a lot of the chapters I've been rewriting multiple times anyway, because the chapters are essentially my notes, um, because I'm trying to put the my my ecological approach into the way of a book in some way and when i'm going through them the there's a constant conversation where i'm i'm reading the thing and i i want to go but what about this and what about that and what i find with a lot of popular books is they don't they don't tend to push into those questions much it's very surface it's a here's my story here's what happened and you're like cool yeah but why did you do this why did you do that why did you make that decision and then they give research and the research again is it's like this study found this thing and and then they move on again and i'm like you're like teasing me with all these things and then just moving on i'm like tell me more you know that this kind of triggered something in my brain hence the bodily reaction yeah um, it was something that someone was talking to me about while I was at um, Atomicon, which was just after um, the Berlin conference. The Berlin conference, because someone was insane enough to do two conferences in a week. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> still recovering. <laughs> so people tell. Um, but yeah, so <clears throat> one of the things that was said is someone came to me and she went, uh, uh, and, and they were saying to me, "Well, where's your course?" Like I was, well, I've been working on a Descript course. So we'll just get out the first bit. I'm like, yeah, I know I could do that. I, I get that. But no, because it's not, it's not right. The invite, you will not gain what I want to deliver from it, which is a much more like, I suppose the best, the best example is your example with Obsidian. It's like, it's not, it's not baked yet. It's not fully cooked. It's not even cooking. I've got the I've got the I've got the ingredients. Mm, I think and, and and I want to piece those ingredients together and sort them out a little bit before I let them out into the world. I think that's one of those things in business though where you you need to you need to sort of move away from your ethics a little bit when it comes to starting the product because obviously you've got to get it out there in the first place it's, it's got to be there to start with to get feedback and stuff because uh, you can't start a conversation without actually engaging with someone else so mm. there's certainly got to be a put it out there to start with and then move forwards but when you put it out there that's that's very different and for a book that's not a let's put it out there and see what comes happen and see what happens that's a okay, I've just spent a year, potentially five years writing this thing. I've had loads of chances to get feedback, get thoughts. Obviously, editors have been involved, beta readers, alpha readers have obviously normally been involved as well. Uh, and then there's been the whole producer, production, pipeline stuff. It's not a it's not a short thing. <laughs> well, if, you, if you're doing... And also... And also, there it's a different environment that you're in when it comes to a book. Because once a book is done, it's done. It's mm. it's it's done. It's finished. Whereas a course is a little bit more dynamic, I think. Mm. Well, that's one of the affordances of a course over. You know, one of the affordances a, a, a course has, an online course has, than a book doesn't. Um, mm. 
potentially you could say that's a constraint but it's it's just information in the environments some of them having affordances others don't which is just the way the world works um when when i look at a book and i look at linking the ideas looking at all of the all of the stuff that we spoke about earlier with folders tags and links when i look at a book a book is all of those things in one but it's a snapshot and when you listen to a lot of the authors of the books now since publication their views have changed their ideas have changed i was listening to uh, an interview from carl friston uh, the other day for those unfamiliar carl friston is the person that came up with the idea or the principle of the free energy which is uh, embedded in predictive processing or information processing uh, and it's typically in the information processing view of cognitive psychology and the way that the brain works he uses bayesian statistics and Active inference is the term that uh, Carl Frisson likes to use, but he was discussing embodied cognition and using embodied cognition, the, the ideas of systems much more freely and much more openly than he had done previously. And he seems much more open to the ideas of not necessarily direct perception, but the way that organisms cognize in environments and active inference potentially being impacted by action and perception as as a, a coupled thing rather than individual steps uh, and it was much more of an open conversation but if you look at some of Carl Frisson's previous work you look at it and go who, who is this person and where's where's Carl Frisson gone <laughs> which is one of those things about writing a book that I'm still not sure about how to mm. write a book that moves forwards in time because the book can't move forwards in time. Uh, and that's that's where I think the ecological approach will lend my book to that a little bit because it's it's very much a, what's the point? Well, you've got to figure it out. <laughs> so, because yeah. some some books last time, like you look at all the, the old, old stoicism books, they're very philosophy driven. They, they still have lasted. And that's a sort of, writing that's the sort of work that i think is more beneficial but it is inherently much more open open um i think this segues very nicely into the comment conversation i guess i should say um about editing and rewording is note-taking we we were discussing about how editing videos is note-taking and i was like yes <laughs> that's what i think and they were discussing making movies and things also being note-taking and i was like Yes. And I feel like it's just all part of the, the the cognizing process, the cognizing process, the thinking process, the thinking process of telling a story and the narrative and understanding stuff. What do you think? Do you not like There's something it? I don't like? About what? About the editing and rewording as note taking. I'm not really sure why. There's just a gut like, mm, I don't know. Explore it. Why not? Good question. That's what I'm trying to figure out. Because <laughs> I'm like, I, I know that there, there is a there is a discomfort in in when I when I heard that I was like, mm -mm, I guess. When you think of editing, what do you think of? It's kind of multiple things. It depends on the context. But oh, when I think right. editing, it's, it's very much... Do I edit my notes? I'm not sure whether I 
whether I think I edit my notes. So my concept of editing, I suppose, is removing and taking things out. And that might be why it's... And why is isn't not... and why isn't that note-taking? Yeah. I don't know. Because when we discussed note-taking versus note-making, we came to the conclusion that a lot of it, or I came to the conclusion anyway, that a lot of it is just writing. It's the process of writing. Taking and making is writing words. Yeah, that makes sense. But I don't know why there's a disconnect for me on that. that uh... Well, when you're editing a video, you don't have words. You have clips because it's a video. So you can't mm. be writing a video. You need to be editing a video because editing a video is moving clips around um, mm. because it's, it's a term specific to the context. I think editing a video and editing writing or editing words to me is writing. Editing a video (laughs) is editing. So in my mind, editing is writing for video and writing, you know what I mean? Like writing is with words, editing is with video clips, but they are the same thing to me. Hmm. Because it's all part of cognition. It's just the medium that's being used, whether it be word or video, changes the word that's used that's most appropriate. Because I can't imagine anyone saying, oh, yeah, I'm I'm writing my video right now. And you thinking of them being in a video editor. No, you're, you're thinking they're writing a script. But yeah. in, the, in the same way, when you say, oh, yeah, I'm 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 editing my my script right now, you still know what editing means. Editing means, well, they're, they're writing. It might be my resistance to script writing. Maybe. That might be what I'm actually pulling on. Because I, I, when it comes to writing videos, as is evident with my channel, um, I don't write scripts. A lot of it is a, a lot more freeform because it allows conversations to flow and it reduces the constraints on the conversation, which, I mean, it all goes into the conversations we've been having about my videos and what I want to be doing with my content. And I'm like, Yes, but I've got to make it fit the meta. And my my resistance to that is so huge. Yes. As we've you have multiple discussions of. I'm just I'm just like, ugh. Do I have to if I want people to listen to it? Yes. Ugh. It feels so unethical, which is a yeah. I yeah, I mean there's there's a long conversation to be had about that. The that as a video. <laughs> well, I I, th- I think to me it just comes down to your whatever word you want to put there, confidence, competence, expertise, uh, experience, uh, views, perspectives on content as a whole. Because mm. as a content creator or content consumer, there, there's a different view of what content is and can mean. And I think mm. because I wouldn't class you as a content creator. No. <laughs> because you're still a content consumer. I don't consumer. make any content. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Because you're still a content consumer, through traditional terms of content, I'm saying like content online, because obviously everyone's creating technically content. Um, when you look at things from a content consumer's perspective, there are views that people 
don't quite get from content creators, which is why you get the the disconnect in conversations, especially in the comment sections of videos of big creators and the commenters saying, oh, just do this and just do that. And oh, it's not that difficult. And life's easy as a content creator, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, actually, it's not. <laughs> There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that content consumers don't grasp. But mm. that's because they don't, they're not familiar with the job. Uh, which I would say content creation, if you're earning money from, it is a job. Um, yeah. So yeah, a little bit of a sideways tangent there, but yeah, edit to me, <laughs> editing and writing are are the same thing. And I think video editors do a really good job at cognizing through uh, the edit. Yes. So especially telling stories when they're, when they're good at it. Um, I can see you're ticking off some of your comments as we're going through as well. So note editing questions this is from uh davos yep i i picked this one up because the way i see the, the way i see this comment is that davos obviously makes comments as they go through the podcast and they were they were sort of like editing the questions as they go through and they were saying actually no you've answered that or oh this is an interesting question and this is a new question and those questions developed uh, as the conversation went on uh, and response uh, as a as a response to another comment i can't remember if it's in this episode or the next one um but someone said that they really liked davos's sort of like stream of consciousness of the comments mm. and i was like yes yes i like it too <laughs> yes this is my favorite thing is just to because i get notifications for every comment which i might have to check and I'm like, but, yes i love it i love seeing the comments and the response because it means we're having a conversation because mm. this is unfortunately a static conversation once it goes out this right now is very dynamic but it, it is there but keeping the conversation going is kind of what we always wanted from day one yeah like, it was like keep the conversation going let's keep talking let's like and it's really nice to see people and quite a few people really quite liked that atomic notes one i wonder why i know why um <laughs> which was really useful and, and it got people talking and having conversations so which is now i'm reflecting on that and going oh right i get the point now <laughs> i want yep, to have yep. i want to have conversations there go this is the actions to take to bring these conversations forward to move the conversation in a different direction well damn it yeah. So, you know, anything when I just sit and stew in my <laughs> moment of sulking. Yes. Yeah. Well, I th I think what we have here is a little bit different from, uh, as Davos mentioned earlier, a little bit different from other um, other podcasts because other podcasts, mm. yes, they're much bigger, but the conversation is with the host and the guest. Mm. For us, obviously, it's the two of us. Um, and if slash when we get guests on, it will be us us and the guests but just because that episode's over doesn't mean that conversation's finished because we've got a comment here and the the comment is then in the next episode and then mm. if there's another conversation that happens in that episode then that conversation's moved forward so we could have a conversation for three four weeks all about and that one has idea been some like um domos has replied to multiple comments i think it might be in the next episode that you've got it about stuff that they mentioned in a previous episode that we're now catching up with and yeah it's like yes yes it's it's literally a, a conversation between us and the commenters which is different i think 
um from other podcasts i think samir and colin or colin and samir do it well in where they answer questions from uh people in the discord and answer questions from creator support etc etc but they're very much q and a's like Mm. here's the answer that we have right now move on here's the answer that we have move on whereas here the the questions and the comments are the content because it's, it's an ongoing discussion um and that's where I think the so right at the end of Davos's uh, comment here, it says, uh, "Can you take a note that already exists with all this information?" That question to me is one that can't be answered now. It would be one that sort of happens through the conversations, um, and then following on with that, uh, that process, still taking the note, even if you don't add new information. When it comes to new information i just think that the way i see that is that's the conversation the Mm. through time that's just conversation so the note is an ongoing conversation between yourself and whoever else is involved whether that's the sources the research um maybe other people that are involved in that conversation so that's that's how i see that's how i saw this comment i was like yes so this comment encapsulates what this podcast is is a conversation with multiple people and for those that are listening if you do have thoughts literally just dump those thoughts out in a youtube comment because you have no idea what other people may be thinking other people may have the same idea we've had a couple of people comment on other comments so you then we then get a conversation of what the listeners you guys um are thinking whilst we're speaking because we don't know what you're thinking uh, and it can be interesting because John and I, we don't really plan these out. I speak, John speaks, and it's a conversation between the two of us. Mm. If we can see a conversation between listeners inside the comments, then we can then comment on the comments, if that makes sense. So it becomes more of a group conversation. Yeah, because that that that's kind of what we always wanted. That was my, like, I want this to be a conversation. It's what keeps this going every, every week. It's like, yeah, this is this. This is cool. I like it. It's... It was the thing that I found very hard with content creation of like when creating the content, there is so it's it's very one sided, which obviously conversations could be there for hours and probably mm-hmm. do a whole episode on that if we wanted. Um, well, speaking of it, tangents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dover said that he, he they they felt called out, which. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Well, you're you're, you're listening, Davos. We we are we are part of the conversation. Um, but they they mentioned that they like the tangents and referring back to what I was saying earlier about going deeper is the tangents is where someone is interested in something and they dive deeper on that conversation or on that topic. And that's where a lot of the popular books that I've tried to read that I struggle to read, um, frustrate me because I'm like, I want to go off here. I want to go mm. off there. Can you go in deeper here? And either like in the book, they don't reference to a future or past point because the book either isn't long enough or doesn't cover those things in detail. So I can't go off there or they just don't discuss it at all, which is different with textbooks. Like the the introduction to ecological psychology. I love it. It's just, I was just thinking about that. It's literally like, and we talk about this in chapter 16. 
yeah you'll get to a point like i want to know more about this chapter whatever is then referenced like in brackets so you go to that chapter and then in like in a future chapter you're like as we spoke about in chapter two or chapter four or whatever you're like okay i'm gonna go back to that chapter later uh you can jump around the book because you know where to go and what part to go to which is exactly what i'm going to be doing in my book um but probably a little bit a little bit further ingrained because i don't want to say hey look at this chapter because the chapter could be like 20 pages um but yeah, so the tangents are indicative of a conversation that is going deeper. And that, that's what we do. We we go deeper into some of the topics. We don't, as we mentioned last week, we can't just give a one word answer and leave it there. We're like, nah, nuance. <laughs> yeah, we need nuance. We like nuance. And I like tangents because there is always a link. There is always a correspondence because that conversation going back to the topic of this episode look at that haha <laughs> um <laughs> look at you i know yeah. right it's as if i know what i'm doing um that ability like to take a different context and pull it out and then put it back in again like it for me it's always deepened the experience of like oh so that's this thing in this context doing this in this way i'm like yeah that's cool the lady at the airport yes <laughs> the multiple ladies at the airport that we yeah. had which ones um the so the scottish lady that doesn't live in scotland anymore yes because she yes. was she was discussing how if you're listening hello by the way um <laughs> she was discussing how she wants to know why she wants to know how she wants she wants to get in in the in the weeds as it were to understand what's really going on which is why she was interested in the conversations that we were having um in berlin because we explained the thing but she was like oh okay i want to know more and she just kept asking questions because as she mentioned at school she always wanted to ask more questions but the teachers never gave it to her because she was like ah oh, no, no, that's not part of the lesson and so the the how how it's made, how we do things, the the behind the scenes of what's actually being done, the the processes, the procedures, those sorts of things are what interests her, and I would imagine lots of other people. And going into tangents, going deeper, explaining the hows, the whys, the 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 the, the intrinsic or the, the the parts of the conversation, build that up. So you, you have a better understanding of what people are talking about when people use those words or use those meanings um, and can apply it in different aspects. And I think those sorts of things, those sorts of conversations between links, tags, folders, between notes, between people, more importantly, um, is where the value comes from content. And if you're not creating those sorts of connections with your content, I would argue, are you really being a, an edutainer? as it were mm. edutainer edutainment yeah, it's the it's the whole content creator thing because this is this is one of those topics that i was I've, again this is another slight tangent this is a different tangent i've been looking into um ai driving licenses right i know you're gonna get really confused 
brief brief overview in the uk you have driving licenses with different categories so a car license motorbike etc etc oh i remember us talking about this yes yeah so you can have a category b driving license but you can either be a manual driving license i.e you can use a clutch to change gear with a stick um for you american people um or it can be automatic so there's two pedals <laughs> yeah there's two you american people <laughs> yes exactly uh, it's it's british humor uh or you can have an automatic license where you put the car in drive and it goes it does all the gear changes so there's a manual license and an automatic license for a category b but with self-driving cars there's no license for that the ongoing conversation for me is then okay if a car makes the decisions of driving one mm-hmm. Is it is it conscious? <laughs> Two, if it's making all the decisions and the human isn't, does a human need a license? If a human doesn't need a license because they're not making the decisions on the road, does the car need a license? And if the car needs a license, how do you quality check that? Because at the moment, human licenses is you get one license when you pass your test at 17, 18, whatever it is, and then you go, you're done. Well, 50 years later, when the old person is driving this souped up new car with all these gizmos and gadgets they've never heard of, don't understand, and are driving at half the speed limit because they didn't know the speed limit was that fast anymore, um, they still have a license to drive. AI vehicles have much more stringent (laughs) tests and quality controls than human licenses do right now. And there are loads of questions that obviously go into that. I imagine everyone's brain being like, oh, but what about this? And what about that? And how do they perceive? And do they predict? And how do they measure these distances and that distances? And humans have different experiences in the world. and All this sort of conversation. So when it comes to uh, bringing it all the way back. So when it comes to tangents of conversation, that to me is a link. But it would just be a link inside of my cognition note. That's a whole conversation there <laughs> with, with so many areas of depth to go in that how do you then discuss that? To me, as an ecological learner, I wouldn't give snapshots. I would give videos and leave the video running for the person to go explore. That, that's how I would want to approach leave that. Leave the video running? Well, like I've just done. So I've I've left... I've left questions that I have open for people to explore, wow. but people already have questions themselves. So I'm not saying I know this thing. I'm not saying this is how it works. I'm saying this is what I currently know and this is what I'm learning, but I don't have an answer yet, which is what the channel, what I'm learning is about. It's about giving a video, a conversation snapshot, <laughs> a video snapshot as it were, of the thing because for something to be published it needs to be a snapshot there needs to be an end to it but i've left the video open because there are other questions moving forwards is it annoying because it's basically saying hey i'm going to put a cliffhanger on the end of every video yes that is annoying but it brings in lots of information for the future conversation and that's what the content should be in my view um and which which cannot be achieved sorry with ai no no AI cannot do it. It just can't. Exactly. And which, are... links to the, which links to what, um, goodness me, can't remember his name. Seth Godin says mm-hmm. about the AI. Yeah. About if, if AI could write the, write the content, why are you writing it? Uh-huh. 
<laughs> exactly. And where where I find this interesting, going back to the content creator conversation, is a lot of people that were discussing AI, they discussed AI and self-driving cars as good or bad or things that we can look for in the future. But they don't discuss. I haven't found anyone yet that actually discusses the implications of AI's perception in the world at all. It's all self-driving cars and how it applies practically to people living in the world, which obviously is important. Don't get me wrong. But a car, a self-driving car, is that conscious? Like that, that question hasn't appeared in any of any of the videos that I've seen. But how does it make those decisions? It, the, the videos discuss it making decisions and it constantly making decisions. But how does it make those decisions? How does it interpret the information? If it's processing it in a box like the brain, which is what a lot of them just assume, well, how does it do that? How is it creating that decision making? And then, oh, it's got loads of experience excuse me, driving experience. Yeah, but driving experience in one place is drastically different from ongoing lived experience of human perception. So the the, the points that a lot of people are making are so surface, so shallow, that I, I, I'm looking at it going, yeah, but there's more to this. Yeah. And, and I'm like, just just ask those questions. Yes, it's an open loop. Yes, people don't like open loops. But that's where the conversation is. That's how conversations move forwards. And it's just something that I wanted to discuss. I I, I want more open loops to make me think, which links probably, and this might be in our next episode, I can move it to there. But one of the things um, I read from one of Davos's comments around um, writing the comments in response to us um, Mm -hmm. about how they had to pause halfway through links beautifully to the exhaustive nature of of having a reflective practice. The more I reflectively practice, the more flippant tired I am of everything. (laughs) Because, Because it takes a lot of cognizing to do. Thinking. When you are, I suppose it's more of a because I am less practiced. Is that even the right? Less skilled. Less skilled in it. Yeah, that's the word I'm looking for. Um, so it takes, I- I'm intrigued from like your perspective. Does it? You were about to say cog- cognitive load, weren't you? Yeah, no. It takes more I mental effort. I could, it, my, my brain was doing it. And I'm like, no, that's not even, no, that, that's not even a thing. Um, so I was like. Well, it is a thing, just a thing you don't agree with. Yeah. Um, so from from your experience with someone with higher expertise in, I suppose, reflective practice, does it get easier? Does it become less Ugh. effortful? Yeah. Yeah, effortful. So this when when you look at this from skill acquisition in physical sports, you can apply the same principles over to cognitive learning. When you have someone that has lower expertise, their sensitivity to information in the environment is therefore lower, which means it requires more energy, energy defined in various ways in physical movement, obviously it's typically ATP, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But energy or focus to maintain the attunement 
the focus um, of the information in the environment. So if you're working in something and you're thinking about something that's new to you, your expertise is low, which means yeah. it requires more energy to maintain the system, maintain the thinking environment to attune your focus to the information, which means obviously entropy is going to happen slightly quicker because you're using lots of energy. And if, if entropy can happen, it will happen, um, which is where the repeated nature of practice helps you develop those skills through time you can't just do something once and yeah now i remembered it you do it once and then you do it again so you've built up some experience inside of a skill a skill in developing a way of thinking about an idea then when you do it a second time your expertise is a little bit higher so it takes less effort to do that thing in that area in um, that specific context, in that specific environment, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. So the answer to your question is, if you were to reflectively practice on the same sorts of ideas over and over and over again, yes, it will become easier. But then you're not necessarily doing reflective practice because now no. you're doing the same thing over and over. So it's not necessarily reflect it's not as effective no yeah so is it still just as difficult to be a reflective practitioner when you have expertise in in being a reflective practitioner yes because that's the damn point exactly because that's what practice is yeah Uh, and this is a misconception inside of the physical domain when it comes to learning and developing and and practicing the body general adaptation syndrome or gas uh, is is a, a term that i was familiar with well, I am familiar with in that if you train your body, so I'm going to use cycling because I'm using cycling. I'm cycling at the moment anyway um, on Swift. When when you train, you train to a percentage of your max load. So to use easy numbers, 100% is my maximum. I need to train at 70% power um, to get gains. So 70% feels tough. If I can put out Again, using easy numbers, I can put out 200 watts. Set well, let's use yeah, 200 watts, 70% about like one. Yeah, do the numbers. 70% of 200 watts is going to be higher. I I tried doing mental maths on the on a, on a previous episode, and I got the mental maths wrong when I watched it back, and I was like, no, that's wrong. It should be this, and I'm like, I'm not going to give a number because I know I'll annoy myself for having it out, so I'm just not going to do it. Um, 70% of 200 is obviously bigger than 70% of 100. But the person doing the 100 and the person doing the 200 both feel like they're doing 70%. So it both feels equally difficult. Um, And that's the way I would look at it in reflective practice. I have more experience with reflective practice. So it means that my practice potentially is more intense, whatever that means. I don't think there's a measurable metric to be had there. No. Um, but I would I would argue that the reflective practice that I'm doing is more intense by the skills that I'm doing in it. Yeah. But it doesn't make it any easier Easy for me. Enough. Yeah. Because it's still 70% to get a benefit. Um, and as you develop your expertise, the intensity in comparison to someone else's reflective practice will be increased. But the mm. feeling for you will be the same well, as for them. Exactly the same. Yeah. Exactly. So, so that's how I would answer that question. I like that. That's a good answer. I like that one. Thank you. Yeah, that's very good. Um, but yeah, because the the feeling that you have, the feeling I have, and the feeling everyone else has, 
Diversion by design, everyone is different. Everyone feels crappy when they've thought loads of stuff and they feel tired. It's not they have a lower cognitive load. Mm. That, 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 that's, that's not a thing. Uh, it, it's not really a thing. It's that person in that environment has expended X amount of, of energy. And this is where Sweller, in his theories, discuss it as a theory, as an abstract concept. And as an abstract concept, I agree with it. It's when people start to try and measure it that I disagree with it, which is mm. why I try not to use those words because cognitive load is an abstract concept. I agree with. Yes. Yeah. Um, some of the but other... it's the measuring of it that's like it, it's beside the fucking point. But as soon as you try and measure it, now you have a place. Now you have a memory store. Now you have things, um, which is where I disagree. So we all feel that relative 70% of energy and we're like, you know what? I can't be asked anymore. But that relative 70% is going to be different for everyone. And it's not because you started off with five working memory slots and I started off with 10. No, it's you have a different level of expertise in this environment mm. to me. Yeah. That's not, oh, I have more schemas than you do. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, I can remember the information in various environments. So I can attune to the information easier because I am, I am more sensitive to appropriate information. Mm. You're maybe you're looking at like 20 things and I've gone 18 of those things are redundant. I don't need to know that. I just need these two things. So you're expending the energy in a different way because your attunement of the information in the environment is is not as sensitive to me because I have expertise there. So it's not mm. you having lower working memory slots or I have more schema than you. No, it's the information in the environment and being able to attune to the appropriate information there through expertise developed over time. That's the way I would explain it. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh <laughs> So, so for the, yeah. So, sorry, my brain was like, ah. So, what is burnout then? Uh, how how are you meaning the word burnout? Are you are you meaning it from a physical athlete's perspective, from a business perspective, with emotional control? So, I'm, I'm thinking or... it from like a business, like I suppose the best way is cognitive perspective like cognition like you're just your physical body is completely fine but your brain's absolutely knackered is the best way of the english way of putting it okay um burnout is a noun it's a description of an experience someone has right mm, and because it is. It's, yeah and because it's a description of an experience someone has typically at a point in time you would say, okay, you are you are struggling from burnout right now. It's something mm. someone would say. A week later, you're struggling from burnout right now. You have been struggling from burnout for a week, whatever. Um, so it's it's something that you experience throughout time. How do you get to burnout? Is the question that I would then look at. Mm. At what point do you cross over from practice to burnout? So what would be the verb is my question. Like, I'm like, oh, what would be the verb of burnout? I don't think there is one. 
Mm, like, no, no, no. I'm just like, <laughs> yeah. yeah when, when, when I look at burnout, I, I don't think it doesn't exist because obviously it does exist. Burnout is a phenomenon that humans experience. But burnout to me is where you have overworked your mm. body and your body needs to recover. And because I follow embodied cognition, I would say that the embodied cognition of you needs to recover so when when you're thinking about something obviously you you've built up this system and you're thinking about stuff um but when when it expands to a point that you cannot any longer contain it you don't have the energy to contain this stuff um you're then expending too much energy and if you try and maintain it that's where you're in an energy deficit and that's where you don't have enough energy to maintain other parts so this system, this cognizing system of the stuff that you're thinking about is taking up energy that you need to survive, your body to survive, which to me is what the experience of burnout is. It's the entropy of uh, what I would class as the human body, the, the, the human systems that need to be maintained. It's the entropy of those systems uh, due to the expenditure elsewhere. So... Yeah, to simplify this very, 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 very highly, um, two systems, the human body system, the work system, um, obviously there's far more than that, and you have arbitrary number of 100, the body system needs 40 to survive, and you're putting 70 into the work, well now you've got a 10 that's got to come from somewhere. And mm. you either choose to put it into the work or you put it into the body. Mm. Now, that isn't a conscious choice that you're doing, but it's something that's flowing throughout the environment that you're engaging in that is from actions and from behaviors. Uh, so you're maybe you're doing more work in an environment than you would be resting and recovering. So now your body is automatically it, it, autopoiesis the body reacts to whatever the environment you're in so now you've got 70 going to this work environment 30 going to the body but that's negative 10 and with mm. negative 10 the system starts to entropy well if mm. what does the body's entropy look like burnout that's that's how i would look at it so 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 burnout is the body's entropy that that's how i see it yes i like that yeah that 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 feels good it's it's the human's experience of entropy. Yeah. It's the human organism's experience of entropy. I'm entropying right now. <laughs> I'm experiencing <laughs> entropy, yeah. Um, but but that because that in itself, entropy of an organism suggests that all of the processes, the systems, the parts that the organism is going through, so emotional control, cognitive uh, acuity, physical ability, all of those sorts of things that the body's organism would normally do, it doesn't have the energy to do it because mm. it's entropied. Mm. And they are the experiences that people have. I don't have the energy to do that. I can't motivate myself to do this. I blah, 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 blah. So that, that's how I see it in my mind. It makes sense. It makes more sense than I have a minimal cognitive load. <laughs> well, when when a lot of people in business and content creators speak about work, uh, burnout, the the burnout they speak of is because they haven't let their bodies recover. Mm. And it's the exact same as professional athletes. A lot of professional <laughs> athletes, they they work, they train, they go hard, 
but they don't recover <clears throat> and then they have burnout. And this is where the principles of, um, so there's overreaching, which is what you want to do. You go a little bit further and then you get the adaptive benefits. Um, then there's non-functional overreaching, which is overreaching so far that you don't really get the benefits um, of that little bit further, but it's still enough. And then you have overtraining. And overtraining can lead to burnout. And if you overtrain enough, that's where you hit burnout. And that's where you need to do like a full recovery stent. I feel a lot of people, instead of overreaching, they non-functionally overreach or they overtrain. And they don't. So what's the difference between the two? Sorry. Between the two of what? There's three there. So you've got. Non so, so the non functional overreaching and. The... Okay. Um, think think yeah. of it like analogy. You have a line, mm -hmm. you're on baseline. Mm -hmm. um, we're, we're talking about anatomy and physiology here. I love it. Uh, <laughs> you have your baseline. Over Overreaching is where you train. So you have an experience that goes up. So you're above baseline. Yeah. And then when you recover, you then come down, but you're slightly above baseline. So mm -hmm. that was baseline. You've gone up, you've come down, you've recovered. Non-functional yeah. overreaching is when you've gone up, but you've gone up so much that you can't do another session or you don't try as much the next time. So when you come down, you come back down to baseline or maybe even a little bit lower. Okay. Right? Overtraining is when you go non-functional overreach, non-functional overreach. So you're still way up here. Uh, I'm on the camera. Yeah. So you're way up here, non-functional overreaching because you haven't given your body enough time to come down. So you're thinking, oh yeah, I'm seeing all the benefits. But when your body finally catches up, it goes, ha, no. And you do a massive drop because you just you just can't. <laughs> and you and what you're saying is that drop is that burnout experience. Yeah, that massive drop is a burnout experience. And then where you were at baseline, you're now frigging down here. And now mm. you've got to work your way back up to baseline. Mm. And that working the way back up is where people take the six months off, however long off, to try and work their way back up to where they were originally. Mm. And the only way to look at that is to assess people. There is loads of stuff in this literature with periodization because that's like the whole of the SNC field. <laughs> like this principle is strength and conditioning in a nutshell, periodization of energy and maintaining certain elements of um, fitness, strength, power, agility, coordination, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and trying to avoid overtraining is what the SNC's coach job is. They use tons of metrics. They use lovely big Excel spreadsheets to do this stuff, um, which is where I learned most of my Excel skills. So, this is just fascinating. And we have gone on a mother of a tangent, which I love. Yeah. How? So that's the physical. Mm -hmm. But there is like, for I'm not a physical being, as you learned. Well, you um, well, yes, I am a physical being, but I'm not a very active active there that's what i wanted so for me a lot of my burnout is kind of how i would define it as mental i suppose burnout mm -hmm. what are the metrics for that if from an snc perspective does that exist in snc yes now this i'm is... really fascinated this is going to be a big massive tangent but but it's really interesting for me as someone who is not sporty like, this is stuff we need to know. I agree. Peri but nobody fucking talks about it. Because this is the thing. Like, for me, I did a lot of peopling. So I am burnt out. So I am not 
able to do what I usually do. I am what sounds like below the baseline. And so I'm like, interesting. You're below the baseline, but you're not burnt out. Yeah. So it could it could be one of two things. You either mm. functionally overreached or non-functionally overreached, right? So I would say the Berlin conference was functional overreaching. Like yes. you, you're still able to function. You were you were going through stuff and maybe a day or two you could recover. Yes. Going to the second conference is where you pushed the stress, the strain on the mm. body, using physical terms here, on the body. Um, and that's where it went into non-functional overreaching. So from a physical training point, me cycling for 40 minutes at certain intensity, functional overreaching. Then I decide, hey, you know what? I'm going to do a sprint at the end. That sprint pushed it to non-functional. The second conference for you, I think, was non-functional. Yes. So what that means is the recovery is therefore longer. So mm. thinking about the baseline again, baseline, Berlin conference, and then recovery, you would have you would have got dropped back down to baseline, and then you can go again. But because you did Berlin conference, had a little recovery, and then you went to um, uh, Atomicon. Atomicon, yeah. Yeah, the recovery time is longer, and the recovery to get yourself back to going again comes back down to baseline. Mm. How you measure that physically, obviously there's loads of physical metrics, but in S&C, obviously emotional metrics are important. How motivated is the person going to be able to do said thing um they use a physical metric along they they use a subjective metric alongside physical metrics to help them work mm. this stuff out uh, it's called rep um which uh yeah uh wait is it re uh i, I can't even remember the term i'll stop my head now i should be able to um it'll probably come to me in a minute um but yeah, so what they do is they give a relative expenditure. Um, oh, wow. What is the term? This is do, doing a master's degree in this. I should know what it is. As soon as someone says it, they're like, oh, yeah, that's what it is. Um, but yeah, so instead of having a percentage of the weight, instead of saying, okay, I'm going to do 80% of the load, uh, you'll do uh, an eight out of 10. So um, rate of perceived exertion is RPE. There you go. <laughs> rate of perceived exertion. So a person could go in and lift a weight and they'll go, that's an eight out of 10. Mm -hmm. And it was a hundred kilos. Then they could go in tomorrow and they go, that's an eight out of 10. So it's the same RPE, but it might be 120 kilos. You know, like, oh, okay. They've had a benefit. So, so it's very much. So from my thing, what is so just doing what I do in my business, taking kids to school, doing the thing? What is my rate of perceived exit? If I were to track this, which yes, yeah. kind of fun, I can't fancy doing a little bit of that because that's what I, I experience a lot of like doing really big things and then crashing hard. Yeah, that's and for what, me. I'm like, okay, you know, Marie does her energy thing. Mm. That's this interesting. I don't think she's got the science behind it and she sort of just does it that way. But yeah, but a rate of perceived exertion. I like that. That that's quite helpful. I'm gonna. And I hope everyone else enjoyed it too. I enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So RPE. Most of the time, when you're training, you want to train above a six. Otherwise, you're not overreaching. You're just hitting baseline, right? 
if you're training for a benefit, if you're looking for maintenance, i.e. active recovery, then you're looking for something smaller than that. But RPE, because of the way that metrics work, it's very difficult to be accurate with a low RPE because yeah, it could be a two, it could be a three. I don't really know. But when you're right at the top, you're pushing your limit. Mm. If you're doing a one RM, for example, that's an RPE of 10. Like mm. you should not physically be able to move any more weight. And nine is you could do one more rep. Mm. So you need to have trained at that peak level for the rest of the metrics to be valid. Mm. So you need to do a, a max test of some sort, whether that's a one RM. I don't like one RMs. I'd much rather have a five RM because it's much more rep max. Rep max. Okay. Yeah. A one RM is a rep max. So doing the heaviest possible weight for one rep. So a squat, you go down, you go up that, with the heaviest weight. That's one rep max. Uh, a five RM is five reps. So one, two, three, four, five up downs. Um, and when when you've done a rep max of an exercise of an activity you then know okay that was my limit i i could not physically go any further so for me the way i periodize my energy throughout my day i've been using this for years and explaining this to people that don't understand periodization is very difficult <laughs> um i'm gonna try and make a part of the book but how and where i don't know um i can't wait because this is really good because i know you do this yeah. And it's so freaking like I'm just sat here going, yeah, that's cool. That's really helpful. Why am I why do I not know this? Uh so I've been editing using animation. And mm. I did the first session I did, I did a rep max test, right? Mm -hmm. For me. So I edited animation for as long as I physically could before my brain just went, fuck off. <laughs> like, no more. I like I, I was taking a small break, like a, a breathing break. Then I do another five minutes, a breathing break, another five minutes. I was pushing it to its limit. And I, I just, I just could not choose to go back to animating anymore. And I had a time on that. And I, uh, I think it was about two and a half hours. I was like, no, I, I cannot, cannot do it anymore. So what I decided to do the next session is right. Okay. Because I'm recovering, I'm going to do an hour session. I did an hour session that felt easy. Then the next session, I did an hour and a half. That felt easy. Then I did an hour 45. I was, I was starting to struggle with that. I was like, okay, I'll do that for a couple of times. I did an hour 45 a couple of times. Um, and now I'm working up to about a two-hour session. But the first time I did the two-hour session of animating, by the two-hour time, I'd already taken four or five breaks. Because I was like, oh, my God, this is so just, ah. Um, but now I can just animate for two hours, just whoop, done. Um, and it's the exact same thing with every experience that I have. I do a max test to see how long I can do this thing. So when I'm going into an idea, I because the idea is a different experience. It's like a lift. You can do a squat in a back squat, uh, like the bar on your on your uh, high back or low back. So it can be on your shoulders or low back, sort of on your on your scaps. They're still a back squat, but they're two different ways of doing it. Or you could do a goblet squat and have a, a weight on the front of you. So it's the same movement, but it's slightly different. So research, it's the same movement. So the same process, but slightly different topic. Mm. So I'll do a rep max of that topic. So how long can I look at extended cognition? And because of my interest, my, in, my subjective interest into certain topics, some topics rep maxes will be what much higher than others. So when I looked at extended cognition, I went for like six hours. 
mm. by Rep Max because it was so interesting. And I was like, okay, I can work on this for like four or five hours quite easy. Same with sort of Obsidian. My Rep Maxes are quite high. But when I look at other topics that are really complicated, like the free energy principle, I can only look at that for an hour and a half-ish. Like mm. I was struggling at 40 minutes. So I, I pushed and pushed and pushed, got to an hour and a half, like, nah, that's it, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. My, my my cognitive load is too much. I was like, no, there's too much. So I now know what my rep max is for that topic. And so I can periodize my work when I'm going into those topics differently. Love this. <laughs> I think then, we could there's science behind entire, that. That, that, that. An entire episode could be done on this. I think we should put this down as an yeah. episode. Yeah, because that's really a help. Going into that fully would be really interesting. Yeah, we, we can do that. Um, Because of time and we need to record two episodes, we're probably going to close it out there. Um, So because, yeah, holidays. So we will see you guys next week. It won't be on RPE next week, though. <laughs> Bye.